Hi, it's Chris Watkin here, and I'm joined today by Pete Lawrence, who is an extremely well-known uh, West London estate agent from Ryslip. He runs his own agency, um, Lawrence Rand, that started in 2008. He's very well-known amongst most estate agents, especially in the Guild and other such organisations. And I'm here today to ask him about his story of starting an estate agency, the ups and downs, the trials and the tribulations. So you boys and girls out there in estate agency land could learn from him. Pete, thank you for coming up to sunny Grantham to sit on the walking sofa. Thank you for inviting me. That's okay. So what I'd like to do, Pete, is talk about, go back in time to when you were born and why you wanted to become an estate agent. Um, as I said, the fears, the frustrations, the hopes and the dreams that others can learn from that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Pete, you were born in 1980 uh, to a single mum? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, did you have, uh, what was the childhood like? Um, childhood's a very good question. I think the, the best thing I had about my childhood was a round thing called a football. So uh, it was a tough, it was a tough time. Um, they were, every child has happy memories, but I think for me it was quite tough. I mean, what, what so you, you, you were, you were born, you had a, um, your, your mum and your nan, but what, what was the relationship like there? Because there was no well, father in your life. At no, time, there's no it? father. So, yeah, my birth certificate is just a line going through that to saying, you know, so to this day, I don't know who my father is, and that's cool. It's not, not an issue. It's, it's, it's just life. So, for me, it was my mum had me at a very, very young age. So, I thought that my nan, or what, what happened as a family, they decided that my nan would be classified as my mum. Yep. Um, which seems to be, the more people I talk about, seems to be the thing in the past. Yes. So, so yeah, my mum had me very young. Um, and then sort of later on, it sort of, you heard whispers and things, that people saying different things as I got a little bit older. What, when you were five or six or so? Yeah. Maybe a bit longer than that. Okay. So it's probably closer to when I was around about eight. Okay. Eight, nine-ish is when I probably, you know, I was walking to primary school when I was... It sounds mad talking about this in today's world, but when I was seven years old, I was walking two miles on my own to primary school and two miles home. Yeah, you'd be given a lift nowadays, wouldn't you? Yeah, with a tracker attached to your leg or yeah. in your bag. Um, so, so, you know, it's very much as I didn't get much support and I didn't really have that family around me when I was younger. Okay. Um, and, and then obviously things changed. What, what changed? So... I think when I started to hear more and more about the situation and not having support, and I think when I was eight to going up a little bit older towards sort of ten-ish, when I started to understand things a bit more. Did you challenge your, your mum or nan at this time? About uh, this? No, no, I didn't. Because I just, for me, it's more about just getting on in life. Yeah. And... A lot of people, you know, people say to me now, why don't you find out your history regarding your family? Who, who cares? To be, to be blunt, it was the decision at the time and I don't care. I've got an amazing family now, amazing wife. Um, everything's great. Okay. So I, didn't, I don't care about that. And I think what I found really hard is, you know, at that time, there was none of these tests with dyslexia, none of these tests for ADHDs, none of that sort of information. But I loved my primary school. I had a teacher, remember him extremely well, called Mr McAllister. And he loved sport. And okay. I did, loved sport. 
did you suffer from, do you suffer from dyslexia and ADHD as well? Uh, I'm not, well, I haven't had that test yet, but I, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, but dyslexia, 100%, yeah. yeah. And how did that affect your primary school? Primary school was great. Love primary school because I had Mr. McAllister and his main thing was all about sport. But how are you getting over the, the, the study lessons? Because it wasn't always about sport. Mr. McAllister was 90% about going out, having sport and learning from sport. So I can talk about history now of like um, when I was at primary school, they trialled the old Wembley Stadium with the Twin Towers. Yeah. So they trialled, um, our school got invited to go to the Wembley Stadium and they trialled night cricket. So I was on the centre strip, Wembley Stadium, playing cricket. Um, never come to the UK at that time, I don't think still to this day, but he was a teacher that I really admired, that really sort of, who, who believed in me as yes. an individual and believed in that I was good at sport. Um, and then what happened is that when that primary school section then finishes, the fun, the enjoyment, you then start going to secondary school, which was the total opposite to me. Okay. So secondary school, I hated. Okay. When did you find out that your mum was your mum? I can't pinpoint exactly when it was. Um, and was it at primary or secondary? It was, in sec it was sort of in between that the rumours, but I didn't really know until I was probably like the ins and outs of it until I was, I think it was, I was either 20 or 21 is when I really found out. Okay, but when were the rumours becoming, when did it become a little uh, bit? Rumours started when, probably when I was eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you just, you didn't challenge it, you just let it get on with it. Yeah, my, my attitude in life is that if they want to talk to me about it, they'll talk to me about it. If they don't, then that's fine. Were you not worried that they weren't talking to you about it? Or were you just thinking, oh, I'll just get on with it? I'll no, I was, just ha I was happy. I was a happy, happy kid that played with his next door neighbour and football in the garden and just went on in my normal life. You said um, sport was important to you. Mm. About this sort of time, you became um, adopted by, by Mick, who yeah. I look, I'm knowing, uh, talking to you in the past, and... Um, your social media stream, Mick was very, very important to you in your oh, life. Oh, 100%, yeah, he's a... Uh, so how did, yeah. how did you come across Mick and how did he come to adopt you? So basically what happened was that we went to, um, me and Stuart, my old ex neighbour, would go to the park and was in the cricket strips and I, he looks like Barney Rubber out of Flintstone, so, so everyone, every time I have a little giggle to myself. But Mick come over at that point, also I didn't know who he was, and he said, lads, can you help me put some gold nets up? me being young cocky and obviously my big love now and I'm still cocky. Um, <laughs> um, I said, yeah, of course I'll, I'll help you. I'll do it for 50p a net. There were four pitches at that time, 50p per net. He then asked to put the corner flags out and I said, I'll do that. And four corner flags for 50p corner flag. And it went on. So basically that then started to be part of my work, understanding monetary value. Um, and then... It just happened. It sort of organically happened. I then got involved heavily in the football club um, at a very young age, and that's North Football Club, at a very young age. And I think by the time I was 15, when I was in the, that club and through that whole journey, I actually won, it's called a Ted Tucker Award, which is the community champion, like supporting the club and helping out. But the connection of football and the local community, I could comfortably say all the jobs I had before becoming a state agency, every one of them was related to the football club. So, for example, I worked in a, um, a tie shop. 
I worked in uh, Root and Merchants and the person... This is a teenager sat yeah, in jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... And midweek after schools. I worked... And just when I just finished school. Um, worked at Root and Merchants, which the gentleman who owned that Root and Merchants was a phenomenal... He was also like a mentor to me. He probably didn't realise how valuable he was to me and his family. But he took me on... Um, amazing holidays, I stayed in his place in Geneva, um, and I played in his house when I was younger, to the house, which I own now. <laughs> so I ended up buying his property off him, and, and that's where we are today. So he was a great mentor to me, and I always looked up to him. His son's a very good friend of ours. Um, so, um, yeah, so I had about five milk round again, three o'clock in the morning. Where do you think this work ethic came from? Was it intrinsic? Or was it from? I just from didn't have a choice. You know, Mick Mick took me under his roof, and 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 I and I'll never forget that. Um, but he wouldn't give me a lot of money. So even me going to school, there's sometimes where I didn't have any money, and I had to go into lost property to get stuff. But then I had to change my mindset of going. If I earn the money, I can have the good stuff. And it's just not failing it's just never it's been relentless consistently how, how did your nan feel the fact that you wish it was a blessing in disguise for her for you to move out well she had passed by then oh so before i'd moved out she had sorry passed. to see that that's yeah, right it's, it's, it's the way it is but she had passed by then and that's the age of around about when i was around about eight when all them rumors were coming out she had passed and then the family were all talking and he should know or something should be told to him and that's when all that started to circulate a bit were they quite pleased that you found a new home never spoke about it it just kind of happened it just happened yeah just a hard would work. it happen like that today would it oh no today is yeah you've got no chance of that happening today it was yeah today is like a bit of a ball game <laughs> it's a it sounded like a blessing in disguise yeah you said secondary school wasn't good because you had dyslexia yeah but it was never picked up that's the problem there's no one there to support you. Um, and sport, you know, sport was my main drive. So even in secondary school, I actually got disqualified on sports day because I won too many awards. Because I was only supposed to enter two or three. I, went, I was virtually done everything. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, I was not that academically good at school. I mean, did, I mean you, you, you left in 96, so did you get any GCSEs or anything like that? I think I might have just got art. Okay. I didn't do my English, didn't do my maths, didn't do my science. So was, dyslexia wasn't picked up. Were you just considered like a thick kid then? Yeah. Yeah. She's fine. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> but the old Pete would have been upset and frustrated about it, but the Pete that I've had to train, develop myself with... Okay people helping you from this amazing industry and outside, outside okay. sports psychologists and everybody else that works with me, I've now got to understand it's fine. It's okay. cool. So you were living with Mitch. How did, how did your mum feel about the fact her son had moved in with someone else? I never really asked the question, to be honest with you. And I don't <laughs> think that she was really bothered. It was just, I think that it was just like, okay, well, that's his decision. And that's, I think that... That's because, quite a decision to make for a 12 or 13 or 14 year old. Yeah, no, it was, but I was more happy there. I was, that's, it's my happy zone. And that's what yeah. I always say to everybody is that whatever you do, if you're not happy, just move on. But surely it must have hurt the fact that your mum, by the sounds of it, was almost washed your hands of you. Did that hurt? No, it didn't. It didn't. And it, I, mean, it, what, I mean, how have you coped with that? Is that just simply because intrinsically you're a happy person? Well, I'm happy to some degree, but I look what I've got now. So I'm talking about more at the time. 
Yeah, but even at the time, did it hurt? No, it didn't. It didn't because I was really happy. You know, I because you were with Mick. It was I basically was with Mick. I was going to football, football every day, which is what I loved. I was creating more and more friends and nicer circles of people. Work ethic, because you'd realise. I mean, that's quite Maybe. rare. Yeah. To realise, you know, okay, you took you under your wing, but the the end of the day, he wasn't paying for you, so you had to go out there. Yeah, no, he put a roof over my head, so I didn't have to pay for the roof, but I had to pay for other things on the way that I had to work, and and by him doing that, really taught me at a younger age. Everyone thought he's hard on me. He was not hard. He'd done it because he loved me. Do you think? Do you think parents are soft on their kids nowadays? It's too easy. Yeah. I think, I think, I and think. And how are you ensuring that you're not too soft on your kids? So I have a, I have a, me a method at home. Uh, and again, it's come from a very close friend of mine, and, uh, AD. He's a phenomenal guy. Um, and again, it goes back to sport and football. Uh, and AD taught me about three years ago because I was hard on my kids. I would be the dad shouting at the sideline. I'd be that individual. I'd get stressed about it all. And he said to me two things. He said, Pete, let me just coach you on something. I said, cool. So when pressure is on, you must take it off. And when pressure is off, then put it on. So, for example, this week, my, my oldest son is doing his sats. Starts his sats literally today. All we've been doing is having fun. I don't care about the results. I've taken all that pressure off him. Do your best, son. It's cool. Now, if he was messing about and didn't want to do his educational aspects of things, it flips. Pressure's on, and then you have to perform. And that's the difference now in, in me as an individual. So I think that's where, how it really helps me is to understand by having, you know, Kevil Battelle, who's a sports psychologist around me, having AD around me and having me these close people. None of it's my fault. It's just, I want to be the best version of myself and I want them to be good. But don't pressurise and condition your children. They're still kids. Let them have fun. Let them enjoy it. <laughs> okay, let's come back to... Thank you for that. Let's come right. back to secondary school. Mm. Um, so you left there in 96. Yep. What did you do? Did you want, did you want to be an estate agent? No. Or, or did you just fall into it like the rest of us? I didn't fall into it. Go on. So um, I had numbers of jobs, numbers and numbers of jobs. And my last job was working for a, a company, um, my YTS, and I was underneath a Volkswagen transporter van taking the engine out in the snow. And I went, oh, this ain't for me. <laughs> so I've gone straight out of that, straight into a marketing business. And then decided that wasn't right for me either. Um, and then my mother-in-law, still to this day, she said, you've got nice teeth and your shoes are always polished. Why don't you become an estate agent? So you, that sounds like you were with your, are you childhood sweethearts? Yeah, since night, we've been together now 20, nearly 25 years, yeah. So what, when, when did you get together, boyfriend N and girlfriend? 1996. So when you were 16? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Bless. Yeah. So your mother, what did your mother-in-law say? She said, you've got nice teeth. Yeah. And your shoes are polished. Always polished. She goes, why don't you just try to become a state agent? Okay. So what did you do? You just go and put some applications in? So I put four job applications out. Okay. Got offered all four jobs. Um, and then I went into a company where I just clicked with the owner. Which one was that one? It's good Gillespie. Oh, yeah, North London agent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and brilliant company. Wouldn't say a bad thing. To this day, I wouldn't say a bad word about okay. them. Sold out last year, didn't they? Not, yeah, and, yeah. and fair play to both of them. You know, they're, they're James and Paul, great guys. Great, great guys. And so, yes, yeah, so I went into James's office and um, 
saw that he'd done the shooting, as in play pigeon shooting. And we spoke about that for about an hour and a half. And I said, that's the company I want to work for. I just got them really well then. It's classic estate agency, isn't it? You go on the vowel, you don't talk about the property. Exactly that. <laughs> and they're both great guys, um, phenomenal business that they had, and obviously new owners. Um, and where I am now is that, you know, but the legacy, what they've taught me, developed me, trained what, me. What? I know you, you were there for almost 10 years. Yeah. You, I'm assuming you went in as trainee, putting stickers on brochures. Wouldn't even allow that. I was in the back of the photo, I was in the back office, photocopying. Yeah, no, in them days, it was used to have to get the Kodak camera, go and take a picture of the house, then get all that ready, then Kodak would come in, pick up the film, take it off to Kodak, then bring it back. Yeah. Then exactly stick the, photo. stick the photos on the window cards, stick the photos on the details. You lot, you lot, you youngsters <laughs> don't know your form. Yeah, um, yeah, all, all that aspect of things. There's no photocopiers, there's all that. And then, and then the black, did we have black, black and white photocopy at that time? I think it, the year after it might have just come in. Okay. Uh, no emails, stuffing envelopes, sending deep, oh, all that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, my what, job. But what did you learn by doing that? Disciplines. Okay. Consistency. Uh, know your area. Know your market. I mean, when did they let you loose on being a neg? Uh, they let me loose being a neg when I knew every road in the area. You see, nowadays, they, you're a neg. You walk through the door. You're a neg. Get on the phone. Yeah. So I had a very, very good manager, and he's still in this industry today. Um, a guy called Claudio Delimura. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, and when I bump into him, we still have a chat to this day. He's a really, really nice guy. But his whole attitude on being the market, the best in the market, know your market, know your properties, know your roads. And we literally, he would not let me out the back. And he was rightly so to do that until I was ready. And then he went, Pete, right, you're ready, and off you go. That was probably around about eight months until I was allowed out the front. Okay. <laughs> What did you like about negotiating? And once you've answered that, when did they let you actually loose on your first three valve? Um, what, negotiating as in what terms? Being in the office, arranging viewings, taking offers. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I love just meeting people. I'm a big people's person. Okay. Um, so, you know, the first time I was allowed out to go and do a viewing, majority was buddying up. Um, but when I was allowed to go out on my own, it was, it was just like, here we are. You know, just, just bring it on, game on. And, then, and when they done that, it's like, right, now I'm going to be the best at doing it. And I will win and I'll sell the most houses. Um, and, that, and, you know, that's sort of, to this day, I still want to be the best. But that, that's really... Was it the fact that you were best or the money that came from it? Money's a byproduct of what you do. I don't care about money. Don't care. Still to this day, I don't care. Okay. And well, it's weird saying who that. Who judges best? How I feel. How you feel? Yeah. You don't need pie charts or anything like that. I don't give a shit about any of that. Yeah, if I feel I've done my best today, and I, where do you think that comes from? That that inside you. Um, what, who who's there to judge me? Well, who, just no, what, what, what I mean by that. But why should I be judged on some, on on a KPI leaderboard? Why should I be judged if I'm putting in the effort and I'm. Okay. And I'm great at doing what I believe I'm doing, and I'm willing to learn, and I have the growth mindset okay. to become better. That's more important than anything else. Because I know we're in a separate video, we're going to talk about how agents are more worried about their competitors than themselves. Mm. What you're saying is, as long as you're happy in your heart and your head, yeah. it doesn't matter what number or where you want to. Yeah. Who cares? And, that, and that's the difference. Is that and who? I don't care about people's opinions because 
people, and that's why I'm sitting on your couch. People will have opinion about me doing this video, whether they like it or they don't like it. If they don't like it, they'll switch off. Right? Simple. And I don't care. If they don't like me, like the four and a half thousand people on LinkedIn, they'll, they won't follow me. It's cool. Who cares? Right? That's quite a mature thing, because most people do care about what other people think about them. If you, why? Why get yourself hooked up about it? But people do. Yeah. It's a human thing, isn't it? It is, but okay. you, if you think that way and your children think that way... So, again, we go back to how we work, um, I work as an individual. I work on a triangle. And at the top of the triangle is my thoughts. So the bottom left hand of the triangle is my feelings and the bottom right hand side is my behaviours. So if my thoughts are, I don't know, anything out there that could be a thought, you know, I'm at Chris Watkins studio today, I'm on the train, am I nervous? I'm going to be, I'm going to be shit, right? Excuse my language, people, I'm going to be shit. That will lead me going into my feelings, which will mean I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm concerned, which will lead me onto my behaviours, which will mean I will be shit, yeah. I will be rubbish, and my behaviours will be bad. So if you have them happy thoughts consistently, you're going to be great at what you do. Stop worrying about everybody else in life and just worry about the people that matters, which are your big rocks, your family. That's all that matters. And if they're happy, who cares about them? Well, you said in the car, happy, happy, happy wife, happy life. Yeah, exactly that. And happy children, happy life. And what does your wife do for you in terms of, of keeping you on the straight and narrow? Or, you know, my wife, in a good way, stops me being cocky. Yeah. That's yeah. hard. That's very hard. Because <laughs> there's a difference, isn't there, between confidence and cockiness? Absolutely. There's a fine line. There is a fine line. What, what does my wife do for me? Or what doesn't she do? She's phenomenal. She's literally, she does literally everything. Because how, how do you contain that confidence that doesn't turn into cockiness? Because um, I know you, don't, you say you don't give a shit what people think about you, but if you met, met you for the first time, I've got to know you over these years. I know you're not cocky, but you can you can come across if you met you for the first time. I've had a few people in this industry. Um, I'll never forget. I was at an awards do, and I was talking to um, someone. I won't say the person's name, but I spoke to someone in the awards, and they thought, and his words were to me. Once I opened up a bit, and he got to know me, he went, Pete, I thought you was an absolute prick, but really, you're an absolutely top guy. Yeah. I went, oh mate. I, was, I said, I said that's fine. He goes, but people automatically think that's who you are, mm. and I'm, I'm like, that's cool. I'm not bothered how people think. I, I really don't. If you want to get to know me, I will open, while I'm sitting here, I'll open everything up. If you don't want to get to know me, have your opinion, keep it to yourself, I don't care. It's, it's, that's just who I am. <laughs> you know, because you can get hooked up on it all. <laughs> Let's come back to you beginning to think that you were wanting to open your estate agency. Mm. Okay, so I'm assuming that you got to value a lister and you were good at it. Yeah, I loved it. Wish I could still be it. <laughs> oh, do you know? Can you stress. Can you remember? Yeah, we can also remember our first valuation, can't we? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember mine. Um, why did you leave Gibbs Gillespie in two oh eight, two oh nine? I didn't want to leave. I think because I, I didn't. It's, the culture was it was changing, but that's what happens in a big business that's growing. Um, but basically, what happened is that um, a very good friend of mine moved to Bournemouth. Uh, he was the branch manager at the time, and still in this industry, owns a state agency down there. Um, lovely, absolutely lovely guy. Learned a lot from him as an individual. What's his name? Uh, Stuart Mason. Um, lovely, lovely guy. So he moved up due to family reasons, moved to Wilmot with his lovely wife, and had a lovely family down with his kids. Um, and 
I thought I might get an opportunity to become a branch manager. But unfortunately, they didn't. They didn't promote within. Um, they got someone externally into the company. Uh, fair enough, their decision, but that means it's not right for me. And I walked. What? You walked because you weren't picked? I had the opportunity. Two different things. I don't mind did, losing. Did they, ask, did they ask you for an interview? No. It's the opportunity you should always be given. What did they did they think you were just being petulant and just walked out? Yeah, I just probably didn't. They probably didn't. I didn't actually walk. I've done it correctly. Dumb notice and all aspect of things. Um, but it was just, it was just. It's fine. It's not not an issue. It's, but it comes to a point. At the time, though, did you did you throw your rattle out with your? Pro um, obviously, you didn't because no. I think. But different from the at the brand at all because I knew how good I was. I knew I'd get a job very soon. So that was. Did they try and keep you? Uh, did they try and keep me? Well, we've had, they've moved me from office to office a number of times. Like, As sales manager, which is yeah. senior valuer. Yeah, so they've moved me from one office to another office, from that office back okay. to that office to help them again, from that office okay. to another office, then okay. opened a new office okay. and went to that office. But see, a great lister doesn't make a great branch manager. 100%, yeah. I'll just say it. But they didn't have that conversation with no. you. And that's cool. If, if, you don't think, if you don't think that I was the right person for the position, then give me the career path and the training to make me that person. Have the guys at Gibbs Gillespie ever, have you had that chat with them since saying you made a mistake there? No, because it's, it's, they, they hadn't made a mistake. They'd done what was right for their business. Yeah, but in hindsight, there's plenty of people, bosses out there that should be having chats with their guys. And, and more importantly to this day, you know, yeah. now is more than ever important to speak to. Shouldn't them. assume, should you? If they'd have chatted not. with you and said, Pete, you're a great bloody value, but we don't think you'll make a great branch manager. At least you'd have known. And that's cool. And I would have gone back to them and said, I really appreciate your opinion. Can you give me the right training development to be a branch manager? And I probably would have stayed with them. Yeah? Yeah. You'd have probably bought it out by now, wouldn't you? It would have been nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so you went to work for an independent agency for a few months. Yep. Had you always had this fire in your heart to start your own agency? Yeah. So two years before I, I, I had left Gibbs Gillespie, um, I actually um, set up my company name. Okay. And I had the dormant accounts ready, dormant account, nothing was trading, obviously. Um, and I was, I was really like, it's going to happen because I'm that sort of driven person that would make... But two years happen. is a long time, but plenty, you know. Yeah, but you've got to... It well, is a long time, but something dormant doesn't mean you're going to do it. No, there's plenty of people out there that do set up dormant companies and never. So I just went, I, I am going to do it, but it's just when I was ready. Okay. And sometimes people make decisions too quickly in life. Okay. Are you a bit of a reflector? I am now. Now I've got older. Okay. I wasn't so much you, younger. You started your agency, was it May 08? Yeah. But hold on, the market was, about, was, was, was in free fall at that point. Oh, it, was, it was disaster. So did you open up with a with a high street office and all yeah. the bits? Yeah. So had you saved your money up then? No, I had a little bit of money, but I was very lucky because I had um, my father-in-law believed in me, so he lent me some money, which was now obviously paid back and all sorted. Um, but what happened was that then agents were shutting shops, so there's a lot of empty estate agent shops around. Yep. So I took over an estate agency that had left. Um, the company that was trading there, um, and we kept the company name, and then we had the incorporating Lawrence Rand, and then 
it was the good old-fashioned days. Aunt, not that old, because then. But aunt's machine on, lock the front door, let's go and knock on some doors. Door knocking? Door God knocking. forbid. Door knocking. Knock on <sighs> doors, chat to people, be nice. Okay. Want to help you? Not, you're on with Joe Blogs and they're shit, do you want to use us? Right. <laughs> so, how, okay, you opened up an agent, what, just yourself or did you have any staff? Me. And how are the... Did you take some stuff on? Yeah, so in August, the end of July, stroke, end of July, I had a part-time sort of administrator typing details up, Barbara's lovely lady, still comes into office this day. And I employed Billy on the 27th of August, I think it was, okay. that sort of thing. Now, it got a bit squeaky that summer, oh, didn't it? Horrible. Dark days. Dark days. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? We had uh, then five deals in the pipeline. Um, and which, look, majority of agents probably would have taken at that point. Um, and coming the, on... So you've been going six months, five, five in the draw. Yeah, we had, more, we had more going through. But, yeah. But we completed them a couple before then. Um, but let's say them five in the draw. I remember, I remember one of the addresses, but anyway, let's not go there. Um, and on that Monday, we've come in and they all fell through. Every transaction had fallen through. Buyers getting squeaky about buying... Vendors going, let's just see it out, just changing their minds, and we had nothing. Zero. Okay. What was going through your mind at that point? Because this is, you know, this could happen again in 22, couldn't it? It could easily happen. Easily happen. So what went through my head at that time? It's, it's, it's um, quite dark. You know, is this going to work? But then my grit, my determination, my attitude of history of when I was younger, we'll make it work. It will it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So what happened is we had, I believe in karma, was very, very lucky and I'm then going, oh, can we pay the bills? And again, the good thing about 2008, we were opening and all the suppliers were doing deals. It's like literally you can get you know, a newspaper page in them days, right? Was like 400 pounds for a page. That's giving you it for 50 quid, right? So we, we, we was okay and I didn't want to cut any marketing aspects of things, but the, the money, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And as I said, I believe in karma. And I remember the lady's name, Mrs. Sang walked through the door. And she walked through the door and she said, hi guys, do you do lettings? And I was like, what? Yeah, we do lettings. Right? <laughs> but we only do introduction only. Um, so we got her property on the market in Linden Avenue. Got that property on the market, rented it within like 24 hours. She paid us our four years in advance for, for the introduction, paid the bills that month and the rest was lucky. So you got into lettings through the van, and that's how we got into lettings. Obviously, now it's a complete different ball game with compliance and regulations and gas certs went around them, were they, and all this things. So for 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 us then, we were very um, very lucky, very very lucky. Where did you get that resilience from? Because you'd have borrowed money from your father-in-law, hmm. you had nothing in the drawer. Hmm. Yeah, where did you ha where did you get that shit? We're gonna have to sort this out. Um, I think it comes from when people tell you you're, you cannot achieve things in life. So when don't you're... You like, don't you like to be told? Is, is that like a red rag double with you? Yeah, so if you said to me, Pete, you can't do this, you're no good at this, I'll just prove you wrong. Okay. That's it. And I love proving people wrong. Um, don't tell me I can't do something. Um, you know, and, and that's basically where, where, where the whole drive and internal gut is, is, you know, I, I said it, I will never have on my tombstone when I die, 
what if? It'll say Pete done it, fair play to him. It'll say he, at least he tried it and it didn't work. But what did you say, you know, going home to your wife, childhood sweetheart, mm. with borrowing a shed load of money from her dad? Mm. It wasn't a shed load, it was only a small amount. Yeah, but it's still money. Yeah, money's money, but it, is, it was, um, but it, is, it was, she, we were fine. We didn't have the children at that time. Um, she had a very, very good job. She, she believed in me. Okay. Right? So that's the big thing, isn't it? Your mm. partner believing in you, but I also believed in myself. And if you don't have that in core, that fire, that fire within you to say, I am the best, I am going to be all right. I, look, I could have painted them windows white easily, easily paint them white. But it's never going to happen. It's just, it's just not, it's not who I am. It's not in my DNA. It's how can we improve? How can we be better? How can we be consistent? What did you do? More door knocking? Yeah, just getting up, out there? Up and, up and seven o'clock in the morning, knocking before parents went to school. More marketing? Not as much more marketing, because what happened is that I was the proactive agent. You go back to them days, Chris, everyone's like, oh, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. I don't know what I can do. They got into that whole mm -hmm. down spiral, and don't give me a problem. Tell me a solution. But wouldn't you say a lot of estate agents out there are, even in this market, it's a different problem, lack of stock. Yeah. But no one's going out there door knocking or business generating, are they? because it comes down to the growth mindset on individuals. So if there's a business owner that owns a business that is not willing to do it, then how can you expect your team to do it? Mm. Because they won't. If you have a branch manager that's not willing to do it, and it doesn't matter how much you shout and rant and rave to the branch manager, if they don't buy into your processes, then that team will not do it. It causes a huge friction internally, and it's not good. I say the same about videos. You know, if you're not prepared to do them, your stuff aren't going to do Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And it's the same with business generation and door knocking. 100%. You've got to go out there and get it, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, you know, I knocked on the door. I remember uh, I knocked on the door and uh, the property address was called Sandhurst. Knocked on the door. It had a saddles board outside the front of it. had a Hamptons board outside in front of it. We never dealt with the top end marketplace. So I was a young guy, knocked on the door, and a gentleman answered the door and he said, all right, mate. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, I'm good, yeah, good. I said, um, just in the market with two other agents, um, I'll get property sold. And I, I was very cocky at that point. But he was also cocky about his builder, right? So I had that bang, crack to that relationship. We then get the property into the market. I get a video crew around there. In 19, uh, this is 2000, and when I do that, but before it was streaming, we actually had a video done on the property and burnt onto a DVD. Yeah. Right? We then had that done. I then, um, put it on the market. I had a guy come into my office, a little guy, I can't remember his name. He then come into the office. He said, he's got a buyer for the property. Can I meet him at the property on Saturday? So I thought, one, do I trust this guy? True, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose. Went to the property. Um, the person that bought the property was Prince Sheikh Abdullah, Prince of Kuwait. Bought the property for 1.49 million because his horse is raced at Ascot. The rest is history. And that's when 1.8 million was a lot of money. Well, it's a lot of money now, but that was in 08 when the market was... Right. What's, that, what's that worth now, four or five? Probably more than that. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and again, that whole never judge a book by its cover. You know, again, when I was at Gibbs Gillespie, I had a guy walk through the door at Gibbs Gillespie, an absolute true story. Walked through the door, 
and um, he's looking through the window first of all, and the guy is in, in, in the office in Rippensworth, the guy smelt of um, urine, um, basically he was a, was a tramp, he looked like a tramp. And all the staff ran upstairs and looked over and laughed at me because I dealt with him. But the moral of the story is, yes, I got him in my car. Yes, he did smell. I took him to the property in King's Langley. He said he wants to buy it. He then come back the following day into the office. I said, I need proof of funds. Gave me his bank statement, and it said Camelot on it. He won the lottery. He bought it. Don't judge a book by its cover. And that's where it happens to me. People judge me or my cover, which is my persona, but they don't get to know me. No. You got through the property crash? Yep. Well, first you made a profit. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of that. <laughs> Just the one office? One office, yeah. If you're not, I mean, you're doing very well at the moment. If, you, yeah. if anyone looks, look at the stats, you're doing very, very well. Yeah. Why have you not been tempted to open up a second one? I did. So okay. I opened one, um, and I closed it last year, November. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. how long was it open for? Ten years. Why did you close the second office? When the pandemic hit, um, I'd done it because I opened that office because of the location on where it was located more than doing my market research, which now as a business owner and not being a state agent, it's all about the research <laughs> now. So I opened it, it was cheap, nice location, everyone will see the branding, and I went for it. And we had money. We didn't lose any money at that premises. We actually earned profit from it. But it just wasn't the level that we wanted to earn from it. Is that because a lot of people say it's very difficult to open up that, it's that tricky second branch because you can't spread yourself? It is. And that's where we've changed the business. So we've now got management layer in place. We've now got, you know, I, I spend less and less time in the business because we are, at the moment, expanding. What? So, <laughs> so what? Do you want to go for a second branch? Yes, they're going through. And other things are happening. So, um, so for me, it was the reason why I was getting stressed with <coughs> respect to things is because I was trying to do it all myself. You can't do anything yourself on your own. <coughs> Excuse me. That's fine. You can't do anything. You can't do anything on your own. So, what I decided to do was that I need to get all the management tier into place first of all. The company's been restructured in that way, and more structures happening. Okay. But, but your personality type. Hmm. Tends making sweeping statements here That's right. to fear being taken advantage of by others due to your personality. You know, how yeah. how do you square off? Because you know you've said in the car that you are spending more time with your family. And, yeah. You know, how do you square off being a control, being loving to be in control of the situation? A control freak. Yeah, yeah. You. The easy way to say it, it makes you ill. If you don't let go, you will get ill. Because there's plenty of people out there who are control freaks who fear being taken advantage of by others. I've, I've been there, and I'm, you know, it's a hard journey. It's, it's taken me a year and a half to start letting go. It's not an easy journey to go through. And how did how did you let go? Because there'll be some people out there that will learn. Having from. the right mentors around me, you know, having the right people to go, Pete, you've got to let go. And, you know, having the right management here. You, all that matters is the top two or three people in your business. Close the circle. Don't worry about the big circle. Close okay. it. Make it smaller, and then people you trust. And and are they people that you've you've risen up through the ranks? Are yeah. They min, they're mini me's, are they? No, they're not mini me's. Okay. You want one of them? One of me. No. no, but <laughs> do they, they get the values and the culture. They get the values and the culture. Um, 
the two individuals that are in that position at the moment, and we are consistently looking to improve that. And look, there's going to be a journey. There's going to be a journey where people aren't going to be happy with the culture that we put in place or happening at Lawrence Rand. That's fine. It's cool. Do you think you having mentors, because it's not a very British thing to have a mentor, do you think that's changed your life and made you a happier person? 100%, yeah. Yeah, no, it's about Would you recommend other, you know, other agents running their own business that they get mentors? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't advise any more. It's, it's, and don't just look for mentors in this industry. A lot of people go to this industry and go, right, okay, that's, that person over there is a really good mentor and that person over there is a really good mentor. Look externally. So even like, I have sports psychologists that work with me. You know, it, it has nothing to do with, with a state agency, but what it does have is about the growth mindset and the winning mindset and wanting to win. And where, where do you get your mentors from? Just talking to people? Your circles are everywhere. And again, you know, I could go and... Uh, the, the easiest circle that you've got is, is the social media circles that you're involved in. You whack something out there and can someone recommend this? So you do your diligence on it and you speak to these people. Um, and again, because I'm, I'm very in the grassroots football aspect of things, I'm quite known where we live. People know someone who knows someone. And, and that's where your mentors come from. So you know, what you're saying is it doesn't necessarily have to be an estate agency mentor. It no. just has to be, it's all about mindset and what goes on up here. Yeah. Now, if you was opening a new estate agency practice, then you probably do need someone that's, ex and there's plenty of exceptional trainers in this industry. Um, and and you use the word trainer, yeah. not mentor. Trainer. Because I know you're part of the Agents Together, you know, which offers free mentoring yeah. to, to anyone in the yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, I was at EA Masters last year, wasn't it? It was back on. Yeah. yeah. And there'd people that I'd never met come up to me and said, Pete, I just want to say thank you for mentoring me. I didn't even know who they were. I said, well, wow, okay. Because some of them are on Zoom calls and some of them are yeah. just, just a chat. And, and it's the chat ones I've never met that come up to me and say, thanks, Pete. Really, you, you made my life so much simpler. How does it make you feel when someone comes up and Amazing. Says, that's why I said money doesn't matter. Life is all about helping others. So we're now in 2022, end of the spring. Um, you've set up a fine and country franchise. Mm -hmm. um, what's the future? The Lawrence Rand Foundation. Okay. So, so for me, you could say I was an, you know, I will say I was an underprivileged child, didn't have much. Um, for me, it's about giving back. And we've got a great business, and everybody that works at Lawrence Rand, I'm, I'm proud of. I, you know, they're, they're great individuals. And for me now to step out of that, to concentrate on the growth of the business, and to concentrate on the Lawrence Rand Foundation to help underprivileged children is absolutely key. I was going to leave this till 2028, but people in the industry, like Peter Knight, said to me, why are you waiting? Just get on with it. What is the Lawrence Rand Foundation. So our goal is to help children that come from an underprivileged background. Okay, and what does that exactly look like? What are they going to get? So scoping it out at the moment. So we're, we're there. We've got the branding, the logos, and it goes with it. But basically, what it is is that people that are dyslexic that find learning really, really hard, that we can attach a sport to, and they can learn via sport. That's where we are. That teamwork, that learning, that we are one. And what's that? People being parachuted into schools, helping kids that way? It could be anything at the moment. So my, my big goal would to have a school. I would love to have, whether it's above one of the shops, which we've got one at the moment, which got, you know, at the moment there's all the staff, you know, 20 odd staff in one building. But when we expand, 
we could probably take that as a school and put them up there. Um, that's that's the goal. Or short term, that might be the long term goal, but short term might be just me going into schools and chatting. Yeah. Cool with that. You know, I'd love to go. Them. The funny thing about it is the secondary school that I went to that gave, didn't give me what I wanted, like the support, it's not their fault. It's just the way it was then. My son starts there in September. It's a brand new school being conditioned, and I'd love to go in and chat to them about it. And that may happen. So, yeah. And the, the ability that you can do that because you've got managers in place. I've got some great people. Yeah. Because the state agency really comes down to processes and people, don't they? People first, over process. What would your what would your advice be to to managers watching this about getting the best people and then not only retaining, uh, bringing them, attracting them, but retaining them? I think retaining them is a very is a, let them free. You know what bird likes to have their wings clipped. I've been a business owner that's done that, and me stepping out of it realizes, to be blunt, I was a bit of an idiot. Right, I was, I was sometimes too hard on the guys, and you know sometimes words come out of my mouth where I should not have said that, and I'm you know make a fool of myself, and I have to say sorry, and all that aspect of things. Just let them get on with it. The numbers you can review the numbers in in, in the two months time or three months time, but a lot of these corporate organisations are saying people have to make fifty phone calls by twelve o'clock. Are saying they have to consistently do this, consistently do that. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Just train them if they want to be trained. So my process is that we'll employ anybody at Lawrence Rand if you have a growth mindset. If you are fixed, you can't come here. It's just the way we are. Thank you for your time today. I hope you've enjoyed that, boys and girls, in estate agency land. And Pete, thank you for your time and, Pleasure. and, and effort of coming up to Grantham. In some separate videos, we'll do some separate topics, just some small, short stuff. Yep. But uh, thank you for your time. And... Uh, I wish you well for the future, for Thank the Lawrence Rand Foundation as well. Thank you very much.